Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Cambridge, Ontario. You might be wondering where that is. It's an hour west of Toronto. Welcome to the show, Glenn Sutherland. Oh, thanks for having me, Victor. I'm excited to have this going on. Thanks. Great to have you here. Glenn, you are in a very expensive market. You're just in the shadow of Toronto, one of the most expensive cities in North America. And you've decided to invest in the U.S., like many, like myself. Maybe before we dive into the details, give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. I started by, I think, the same way most people start, and they start with some single families in their own backyard. So I collecting properties around Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge area, and collected those up for a while. And I started getting a little bit farther out. I started investing on the other side of London, Ontario, which is about a two-hour drive where I was going to. And as that went, I started getting into some smaller multis and working my way up that way as well. And I thought if I could invest you know, a couple hours away, why couldn't I invest all the way in the United States? And as the story goes, I started just basically trading properties for other properties. I wasn't like a really a rich person to start with, but I was able to scale a portfolio very quickly by just moving markets. And that's what we were going to talk about is where I could sell a property in Ontario that had appreciated a phenomenal amount of money and I could move that to a different market. So what I did was originally I was selling some of my Kitchener-Waterloo properties that literally had doubled in price over about a five-year period and I could move those to southern United States. A bunch of different reasons to do that. First of all, the prices were cheaper. So that's just like what I'm talking about right now with the, the scaling of properties, but just from moving from an expensive market to a cheaper market. Another thing I was just going to take advantage of the landlord laws. So I picked places that were a little bit more landlord friendly than Ontario, which is more of a tenant friendly province than uh, what I was currently working with. Higher rent to value ratios down in those markets and landlord laws and property taxes were much cheaper. So the kind of formula that I was working with for doing this whole process, I could sell a property in Ontario and buy usually about four properties in the United States with just the same equity from the property. I then would leverage them up. And that's how I started doing them down in the States. As I became more advanced and more comfortable with my teams and my markets, we started to do smaller multifamilies and we started to do larger renovation. What we did was our, our team grew and we were now able to do full renovations. Often what we do is find properties that are so distressed that nobody wants them because they're at a spot where a lot of them, we even bought properties that had permits to tear them down and then rebuilt them. And so what we do is try to find big issues with properties and force appreciation. Primarily, it's the smaller ones. It gets a little tricky when you're doing that with even getting into the, the fourplexes just because lending doesn't like to purchase a fourplex with zero vacancy and in rough shape. Often, we're looking to add a lot of value. We usually renovate attics. We've taken back porches and closed them, ran HVAC electrical to them and added square footage to houses. We've converted garages, usually in a good sized garage, you can put a bedroom and a, an ensuite inside of it. We go to refinance or lease option or burr. What we can do is comp out against much more valuable properties by just adding, forcing appreciation. So the core of this strategy really, to some extent, is chasing yield. And when you'd say that a property up in the shadow of Toronto may have doubled in value, 
when you look at it from an equity perspective, you may have tripled or quadrupled your equity because if it had debt on it, you've all of that appreciation, of course, goes to the equity side of the equation. So you literally are selling one and buying four. Yeah. And so what I'm now getting to a phase in my investing career is I'm repeating the whole process again. Things have gotten very expensive in some of the markets I went to. So when I first started investing in the United States, I went into northern Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, specifically, which is about uh, 45 minutes south of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. In that market, a lot of factors came in. They expanded the FBI headquarters. They built a new Toyota, a new Mazda, Blue Origin, which is Amazon owns that. They do the uh, rocket engines for the space program. Uh, NASA expanded its headquarters in Huntsville. That's where the unmanned rockets. And what happened is a lot of pressure got into that market and doubled the prices again. So what it really did for me is made me rethink about, I'm having a real hard time buying there because my mindset is still thinking about the prices that existed four or five years ago, whenever I was buying those houses I have now. And now that those have doubled in price, it might make sense, is making sense in my mind to start selling those off as well and taking doing the same four to one factor and then buying four properties and I'm moving my money up into Indiana and into Ohio where it's the Midwest and the prices are phenomenally cheaper. Some of the properties I'm looking at, it's going to be more difficult to find financing, but basically the whole, just to the whole story is if you can take a property and you can turn one property into four and move it down into a market that's much more affordable, and then you can take that same market If you happen to get lucky both times that I don't run my numbers based on appreciation, but if you happen to get lucky again, and you've picked markets that are solid and have good fundamentals to start with, and that they go up in price again, you can essentially turn one property into 16 properties by just rolling these things over. And so I had quite a few properties in Ontario, and I've now, my last one's up for sale on uh, the MLS as of tomorrow. Keep expanding like that, as well as for talking about like really expansion when my business really to expand was to take on joint ventures and private money and so if we're going to go down that path but private money it doesn't matter the the cost of it as long as your deal makes sense and you're buying your properties but you can really expand your portfolio and my business has taken off a lot that by just by bringing in instead of having to work with my own money and having to do simple little strategies of moving houses around markets let's make a distinction between At the end of the day, your question really, boil it right down to the core, is what is a bargain, is really the question. Is the $30,000 house in Detroit a bargain? Or maybe not, because it really comes down to not only what are you getting in terms of yield on your rent, but are you in a shrinking market or a growing market? Now, so far, you've been investing in growing markets. I don't know if that was part of your criteria. You've got a Toyota plant not far from Cambridge. You've got a Toyota plant not far from Huntsville. A lot of influx of jobs, influx of population, following employment. If you're going into other areas that are shrinking markets, the strategy that you've been employing successfully up to now may not repeat itself. I guess the question is, how are you choosing these markets? Is it simply on the basis of, wow, this looks cheap? Or is it on the basis of, wow, it's got all the right economic fundamentals? If we're talking about the markets, yeah, for the market fundamentals, I do want to see an influx. When I'm doing um, my analysis, I want to see that these markets are growing every year. And that's one of the reasons I haven't invested in Detroit. A lot of things look really good on numbers for Detroit. But if you look at their population, it is shrinking 
every single year. It's not a place to go. Ideally, you want to have some sort of market driver or a reason that people want to live there. If you can't figure out why people want to live there, it gets more difficult. When I'm looking at my markets, because sometimes I like the niche markets, which are like the smaller markets outside of a large market. A lot of times there's a lot less competition. But the problem when you get into those is lending. So you want to make sure that your market has at least 100,000 people is the general rule for financing. I've tried financing some properties in some small towns and you can still do it, but the number of loan options you have to pick from are a lot fewer. And sometimes that'll hurt your rate or your loan to value or just make your things much more difficult. It's a lot of it is just looking through what's going on and what kind of things are driving that market. What is that? When we were going into Kansas City, Missouri, we were looking at the medical thing. Is this expanding? Yes. You look up the newspapers and the online articles, and you can see that they're expanding the medical university that is there. Everything was growing. So it made sense because you could see that there was things to go. I believe it was FedEx or UPS was there, and they were expanding. They wanted more space at the airport. There's drivers to a market. But honestly, it isn't my be-all, end-all. I am a lot of the time. What I'm looking for is the numbers. The, the numbers in... What I like to do for the main part is uh, Burr, the Burr method. And when I'm doing that, I need to be able to refinance out of the properties. So my simple metric is I want to be purchased plus reno to be 65% of the ARV. Often I'm doing 75% on my cash out refis, but it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. And I want to be in a market that gives me a little bit more meat on the bone. I tried doing it in Northern Florida, but it just turned into flips. We're just doing flips there because it's it's just very tight. The, the numbers get tighter. You can push stuff really well in northern Florida, but the problem was that the rents didn't keep up. So as you did a, a renovation, you took a $100,000 property and turned it into a $250,000 property. The problem was that, that place wasn't going to rent for $3,000 a month. Whereas if I went into the Midwest, there's a lot of things more to look for, but as a quick uh, litmus test for what you can get for your returns. Me being a Canadian, financing does play in. If you are actually an American doing this, you can get much higher leverage rates than I get to deal with. You get much better loan programs than I get to deal with. There's lots of opportunities out there. And the market growing isn't necessarily the be-all, end-all in my case because the property prices are going so high. Like maybe you're at the top of that market. You look at Phoenix and stuff, it's very expensive. You look at Miami, the price has gotten so high that the rent hasn't kept up with it. And it's a juggling act between trying to make your numbers work as well as the market work for you. Looking to try and find something with the best of both worlds and still be in a landlord-friendly state if I decide to keep the property and rent it or lease option it. I imagine your biggest risk as an absentee landlord, as an absentee owner, because you don't live there, you're not there at the job site every day or every week, is the risk of local people that you've hired taking advantage of you, stealing from you, representing one thing, doing another. We hear stories of that over and over again. Most of the distressed properties that I get to see, doesn't matter whether they're small properties or even large multifamily assets. Most of the time when they run into trouble, it's an absentee landlord, someone who was a distance away and couldn't effectively manage it. How do you mitigate that risk? That's a really tough question and it's a really tough answer. In Huntsville alone, I'm on my second property manager. 
I've went through, I think, five property managers in Missouri. It is a trust to build up. And I've found that you have to go through a lot of people in order to find the people that do work. When I was in Missouri last year, and I was just going there for an acquisition, and we were looking to buy 35 properties in one swoop to buy a portfolio. And when we were down there, my property manager had a major claim on the property, which was the perfect opportunity to test them. So I didn't tell them that I was in town and they were all of a sudden said, hey, the property has this broken, this broken, this broken, this broken, this broken. We need to do, you know, your rent this month isn't even going to cover it. So you need to, we're basically looking for cash. And I said, okay, can you call the tenant, give them notice? I'm coming over to look at it. And you know what? It actually worked out that the property manager was accurate. All the things that they said were damaged, but that isn't always the case. Sometimes... I know I used to work with a different property manager in Indianapolis that I had to let go for an inspection. I've hired them as project managers to go over there and look at what has been done from a contractor just to double check the work. And I would rather just pay for that. But really, I don't have a good answer for it. A lot of it is asking a lot of questions before you start. And a lot of times I want to hear about things that have went bad and then they solve them. Uh, and especially if I'm talking to other referrals who are, are other customers of them, sometimes I like to talk to them just to get a better feel of it. I don't want to hear that these guys are amazing. They do great jobs. I want to hear that something went bad and that property manager or contractor or whoever team member you're trying to hire, that they dealt with an issue. I want someone who's not going to be, when things get bad, be like, oh no, it's over. I don't know what to do. I'm going to freeze. I want someone who knows how to take action and start to solve the problems. And those are the kind of questions I want to try and get into. I want stories of bad stuff. Not, I don't want the good stories because was, anyone can collect money. It's whenever there's really bad tenant issues or really big property issues. That's what I'm looking for. Very interesting, Glenn. If folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Best way is to track me down. I have a podcast of my own, Canadian Investing in the U.S., Fascinating perspective, Glenn. I wish you the best of luck. I know doing things remotely is complex. There's a lot of moving parts. And for the listeners at home, definitely feel free to connect with Glenn through his podcast, Canadian Investing in the USA. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 